0: Good morning, folks. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Great. great. I'm feeling great as well. Will you pray with me? Father, as we quiet our hearts and our minds, I ask that you would help us to just clear the deck, leave everything that might hinder us from hearing from you, Holy Spirit, this morning. We lay that aside. God, would you enter in, that your presence would be here? in our midst, God, we thank you for the worship that has come before, and as we continue to worship you with our minds and with our hearts, would you be gracious, God? Would you speak, and would you have us hear and listen and take your word into our hearts? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we are back in, I feel like I say this every time. We are back. In our series called Believe, A Journey Through the Gospel of John, we have just finished up with chapter 9. If you recall in chapter 9, Jesus healed the blind man. And in that healing, we were reminded that, as John tells us in chapter 1, that all things were made through Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so Jesus is this agent of creation that he was there at the very beginning with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, as they were calling into being the, the skies, the, the earth, the heavens, The the light from the darkness, the waters, the trees, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, that Jesus was in the midst of all of that, and not only that, that he was a very source and power of that creation happening. Jesus, the agent of creation, and that was mirrored in this healing of the blind man. That when Jesus took the dirt from the ground and he mixed it with the saliva and he made mud, he made a paste out of it that mirrored the act of God creating human beings when he took the dust of the earth and he breathed his life into it. Jesus, this agent of creation, anointed the man's eyes with this mud and restored his sight, gave light back to this blind man. And in a way, this was an act of recreation on the part of Jesus. And chapter nine really was about life. It was about life. Jesus restores the blind man's sight, but not only that, he restores this blind man to life by calling him into a new community, calling him into God's true family. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are actually to be taken together from the Gospel of John. They speak to life uh, when it comes to who Jesus is and how he operates in the world. And Chapter 9 shows us that Jesus is the creator of life, And chapter 11 will show us that Jesus is the Lord of life when he brings Lazarus back from the dead. So chapter 10 acts as a bridge between these two chapters. Jesus restores communal life to the blind man, and he restores physical life to Lazarus. And the key verse in chapter 10 is found in verse 10, and it says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly this one down, committed to memory, this is a true and beautiful promise that God has for us, that in Jesus Christ, he has come that we may have life and life in all its fullness, life abundantly. Now, another key verse in the book of John is from, verse, uh, from chapter 20, verse 31, and this really sums up what John wants to accomplish in writing this gospel. It says, But these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So, John wants you to believe that Jesus is who He says He is, that He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, that He is the sent one, He is the rescuer, and that you would have life and life in all of its fullness. It is a book of signs. John writes to us about the signs. Jesus makes a number of signs. The first are in his miracles. He, makes, he does seven miracles in the book of John that attest to his identity as the son of God. But he also makes seven statements that begin with the words, I am. In the Greek, it says, ego, eimi." He makes seven I am, I am statements in the book of John. Now this phrase, ego eimi, in the Greek actually echoes one in Hebrew from the Old Testament, Eche ashereche, which means I am who I am. And God utters these words when he meets with Moses. Now Moses, as you know, as he escaped from Egypt and he found himself in the country in the land of Midian, he became a shepherd. And as Moses, this shepherd, Um, is shepherding his sheep, one day he finds himself um, before a bush that is being burned but not consumed, and it is there that he meets God, and God tells Moses, I have heard the cries of my people in Egypt, and I am going to deliver them, and I'm going to use you, Moses, as the agent of that deliverance. And Moses said to God, but who am I that you would send me? Who should I tell them has sent me? Because they're not going to listen to me. And God says, Tell them I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. So God's identification to Moses and really to the world happens in this spot with these words I am. And this moment is writ large in the history of the Jewish people. God's self-identification is this proverbial pebble in the pond. You know, when you drop a pebble, this, these ripples emanate from it. And so God's plan of salvation for the world, God's self-giving, emanates from the statement, I am who I am, to Moses. And we make sense of life because of who God has revealed himself to be to us. His plan of salvation for the Jews first and then for the Gentiles, which is the rest of us. And we see this phrase, I am, throughout the books of Moses and the rest of the Old Testament, particularly in the the prophets, in the major and the minor prophets. God says, I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord, your God. And so when Jesus makes these I am statements, he is lining himself with God. This is the problem the Pharisees have with him, right? Because he is making himself to be God, which he is, but when he makes these statements, they're very provocative. He says, I am. And all of these I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John have to do with life. Jesus says in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. I am the thing that gives you sustenance for your spirit. I am what, I am the source of life to you, the bread of life. In chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I have come to bring life and truth to the world in a new way. And as we heard before, that, that being the light of the world is to bring joy and community and generosity into the world. Jesus has come to do all of those things and bring life. Elsewhere in John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the true vine, the vine where the branches come off, but I am the one that nourishes the branches. I am the one who gives life to this entire plant. I am the true vine, Jesus says. But in chapter seven, he he uses two I am statements that um, one that's a little enigmatic, is a little, maybe a little hard to understand, but the second one we might be familiar with. The first one is this. He says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Okay, we're going to unpack that in a moment. The next one he says is, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep, and I am the good shepherd. Now, when we think about, you know, Jesus, and we think about pictures of Jesus, you know, iconography, paintings, whatever it is, uh, we can imagine Jesus, you know, with his, like, long, flowing locks, right, the really serene look on his face, the perfectly quaffed beard that he always has, you know. And sometimes he has like a baby lamb, right? Like a sheep kind of perched securely on his shoulders. He's got the staff in his hand. Sometimes the sheep is like cradled and nestled gently in his arms. But we never see Jesus the door in paintings. You don't notice that? Anybody with me here? I find that really odd. We should see more paintings of Jesus as a door. I think that would be a really cool thing. But Jesus the good shepherd So I'm going to cover a a, a couple of things, uh, three points, and we're going to get to this a little later on, but I want to give you a preview here. Jesus, the good shepherd, he does three things. What are the characteristics of a good shepherd? Number one, a good shepherd nourishes. A good shepherd nourishes. Number two, a good shepherd guides. Jesus, the good shepherd, guides us. And lastly, Jesus, the good shepherd, protects us. So Jesus, the good shepherd, does these three things. Nourishes, guides, and protects So this is who Jesus is, and we're gonna come back to that, but before we go into that, we're gonna look at John chapter 10, verses one to six. We're gonna get into the text. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to John chapter 10. If you've got, you can pull one out of the seat back in front of you. If you have an app, you can open that up. But if you wanna follow along, we are in John chapter 10. So verses one to six say this. John chapter 10, verse one. Truly, truly, I say to you, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So this first section in chapter 10 is actually a continuation of what went before in chapter nine. So in chapter nine, Jesus was speaking with the Jews of his time, all right? They're talking about the Pharisees and other Jewish people, so um, Jesus Messiahship, who Jesus is, his identity as the Son of God, really can only be interpreted through the lens of Judaism, through the history, um, through what God has molded Israel into being to, to reveal himself to the world and to the nations. So Jesus is speaking with the Jews of his time. And in this metaphor that Jesus is using, in this figure of speech, Judaism is the sheepfold, Okay? Judaism is the sheepfold. The Jews are God's chosen people, and so they are in this flock, right? And the Pharisees that, God is talk, that Jesus is talking to, the Pharisees who reject him, the Pharisees who do not believe him to be who he says he is, they play the role of the thief and the robber. And we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more a little later on. And not all of God's chosen are part of Jesus' flock, it says that the shepherd comes in and he calls his own flock by name and they come out of the sheep pen and follow him. The ones who belong to him recognize his voice, follow him out of the sheep pen. So Jesus is gathering his own flock from among the Jewish people. So this is what happened with the blind man. The blind man received his sight would have been restored to the community, would have been restored to synagogue because he no longer had the power of sin over him. But the, the, the rulers and the religious elite reject him because of his proclamation of belief in Jesus. And so they cast him out of the synagogue. These who should be shepherds of their sheep toss him out of the sheep pen. But Jesus says, I have, he calls him, and Jesus asks him, do you, do you believe in the son of God? And this man says, I believe. And so in doing that, Jesus calls this blind man by name and invites him into his new community, a flock out of the flock and the sheep pen of Judaism. So this figure of speech kind of goes over the, the Jewish elite's head. They're not really understanding. This happens to me all the time. My, uh, my, I have a 10-year-old son. Well, he's almost 10, not quite yet. Uh, and sometimes he's a little spacey, I'll say something to him, and like a minute later, he'll kind of pop up and head, wait, what was that, Dad, what did you say? And I have to remind myself, I have to be like Jesus, I have to be patient, long-suffering, I have to be gracious to him, and not exasperate him, and gently repeat myself as much as I hate to repeat myself. But Jesus, of course, is gracious, he's patient, And so he brings this metaphor again to this group of Jews, but he he puts a bit of a twist to it. He says it another way. So let's read verses seven to 10, and let's see what Jesus says this time. So Jesus again said to them Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus uses the same shepherd sheep pen motif here, but he shifts the metaphor a little bit. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Now shepherding was something that was fairly well understood during Jesus' time. And what this would have conjured up was a picture of Um, an enclosure, a pen during summertime. In the summer when it was warm enough out, uh, the shepherd would take the sheep to pasture and they would leave them there overnight. They wouldn't bring them back to their homes um, and into their pens at home. They would actually build an enclosure uh, in the pasture itself and it was simply piled rocks uh, around to build a wall. On top of the wall would be thorns. Uh, these thorns would protect the sheep from any predators, anything that might harm them. Uh, and But there would be an opening for the sheep to come in and out of. And at that, in that opening would sit the shepherd. And the shepherd would act as a gate, a barrier between the sheep and anything that would harm them. And so Jesus, when he refers to himself as the door of the sheep, that's what he means. I am the shepherd that sits at the gate of this enclosure that protects and that keeps them from harm. But he actually goes further than that. It's not just that he is this door and this gate that the sheep must pass by. He goes on to say that if you enter through me, you will have life. Let's look at Um, verse 9 from chapter 10. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is more than just a barrier from harm. He is a passageway, and entering through him, the sheep not only have protection, but they have salvation. They are saved. Those who enter through Jesus find life. Those who enter through Jesus find life. We all begin on the outside, and we need to enter through him. We all were like sheep in need of a shepherd. We all are just like the blind man, born blind in need of light. And so we find that Jesus, as he reveals himself to us, that he is the sole mediator of God's salvation. Look at John chapter 14, verse 6. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no way to the Father except through Jesus, his son, Jesus, the Christ. And so the Pharisees who are rejecting Jesus, they are in a sense stealing salvation from their flock. They are like a thief and a robber. They are stealing salvation from the people who ought to be following them. The Jewish leaders, when they cast this blind man out of the synagogue, they thought they were depriving him. They thought they were robbing him of life by casting him out of the synagogue, casting him out from community, casting him out from God's blessing. Because, I mean, let's, let's look at verse 10, the first part of verse 10 again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what these Pharisees are doing to this man. It's not very shepherd-like. These are supposed to be shepherds of the flock. They're acting more like robbers and thieves. But the blind man who has been shunned yet again from community is invited by Jesus into new life invited by Jesus into a new flock. Let's look at the rest of chapter, verse 10 again here. He says, thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This, this abundant life that Jesus has to offer. The New International Version says um, that Jesus came that they may have life and life in all its fullness. Life in all of its fullness. It's not simply an abundance. It is a superabundance. It is more than you could possibly ask or imagine. Life from God, the creator and the giver and the sustainer of life. Now let me be clear. This isn't a life where you get more stuff. It's not a life where you possess more things. It is not a life where you have more pleasure, and you experience more fun. That's not the fullness of life that God is talking about. It's not life free from pain. It's not a life free from suffering. It's not a life free from loss. This fullness of life that Jesus offers is a life of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. That is the life that he has for us, a life of rest, a life of joy, a life of love. It is a life of knowing and being known. It is a life of knowing and being known. Because Jesus knows his sheep by name. Jesus knows each sheep by name. He knows each of you by name, and he calls them by name. To have membership in a community that is characterized by life, a community characterized by life with the good shepherd as its leader. That is the fullness of life that God is calling us into, and he is calling each of you by name into that. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now, the image of God as shepherd has a long history in the life of Israel. We see this from the words of Jacob, the patriarch, in Genesis forty-eight, fifteen. He says, and Jacob blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked and the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day And if you recall from the life of Jacob, he spent a lot of time with sheep, right? He spent 14 years with sheep just so he could marry, right? That's and then and then some. So he knows a thing or two about what it means to be a shepherd. You know who else knows what it means to be a shepherd? David. David writes in Psalm 80, verse 1, he says this. He says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. And so when Jacob and David and Moses, when they talk about God as shepherd, they know what they're talking about. David knows the, the type of attention, the type of vigilance that is required when it, when it comes to taking care of a flock of sheep. I'm reminded of uh, Psalm 121 where it says... Um, God will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Vigilance and attention. It takes every ounce of your energy to manage a flock of sheep. David knows that it takes rescue. Sometimes you have to go and rescue your sheep. That's why you've got a rod and a staff, right? You need to go and you gotta rescue them. You have to care for your sheep. You have to really love your sheep. It takes a huge amount of commitment to be a shepherd, a true shepherd, a good shepherd. And all of this led David to compose Psalm 23. It might be familiar to some of you. I actually had the opportunity to to share this twice in the last couple weeks at, uh, at a number of funerals. Psalm 23 in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What comfort we find in those words, this beautiful picture of God as our shepherd. And so together with John chapter 10, I can identify, so Psalm 23 and John 10, together we identify three characteristics of the good shepherd, and not only his characteristics, but also our response to him as our good shepherd. So the first one, as we shared before, that Jesus is a good shepherd, he does that by nourishing us. Jesus, the good shepherd, nourishes. You see, the shepherd's primary role is to keep the sheep alive. That's it. The shepherd has one job, to keep the sheep alive. And in order to do that, you have to make sure that the sheep are watered and fed. That's the most basic aspect of being a shepherd, making sure that they are watered and fed. And so Psalm 23, verses 1 to 2 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This good shepherd knows where the green pastures are. He knows where the water is. So if I thirst as a sheep, I can have, my thirst can be quenched. If I'm hungry, I can have food to eat. This is the good shepherd who nourishes. Let's look at verse nine, chapter 10, verse nine from John. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So what is this nourishment that God gives to us? Right? and how do we respond to it? So we respond to the good shepherd's nourishment by receiving what he has to give. So of course what he has to give to us is the food and the drink that we enjoy, all right? The physical food and drink that nourishes our physical body biologically, that's all from God, and we praise God and thank him and receive it from him. But beyond that, on a spiritual in a spiritual aspect, God nourishes us By his word. God nourishes us by his word. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Knowing the word of God is what sustains us spiritually. You wanna get to know God? You wanna get intimate with him? You want his life? To, to be the source of your life then you got to know his word because that is how he has revealed himself to us he nourishes us by his word we intake it we eat it and we allow it to nourish our souls and our spirits god nourishes us with himself jesus in uh, john chapter 6 he says that he is he says i am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger whoever believes in me shall never thirst and so we get this spiritual food from being with Jesus. We take in his word. We get to know who God is but out of his revelation to us from the word of God. But then we also come to receive the living word of God, the word made flesh, Jesus himself. We receive him. We spend time with him. We are, we, we, t- to be with him is to receive nourishment from him. And so God nourishes us, and we do that by receiving that nourishment. We respond by receiving what he has to give, his word and himself. The good shepherd guides. Jesus, the good shepherd, guides us. Now, Psalm 23.3 says this. He says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd directs the way for the sheep. Right? He leads them where to go. If you look at John 10, verse three to four, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for, this, for they know his voice. I love this, I love this picture because when, when, when the shepherd guides and directs the sheep, he doesn't just say, all right, I've gone far enough. I'm just going to sit here, just way over there, over that hill. That's where the pasture is. Just, just go on your own, right? It doesn't need, like, a laser pointer over there. Go, sheep, go. He leads them. He guides them. He goes before them. The shepherd is right there with them, leading them along safe paths to green pastures, And so when it comes to God's guidance and leading in our lives, we respond to the good shepherd uh, and his guidance by trusting in his leading. We respond to his guidance by trusting in his leading. Now, I I don't know how it is for you. I try to cultivate a relationship relationship of listening when it comes to God. Um, God speaks to me and I do the things that he tells me to do. Not always perfectly, and I don't always hear perfectly, but I do my best to respond. When he brings someone to mind, do I call them? Do I write them a message? How do I pray for them? When I look at situations in my life, how do I respond to them? How do I, how do I move into those spaces and be, and be light in the world and be God to those people and to be the hands and feet of Jesus? We have a living and active God, his Holy Spirit, right? Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to us so that he would bring to mind everything that Jesus taught us so that we could listen and that we can obey. God is living and active and he wants to speak to you in a way that you can respond to him. He wants to guide you. And so we know this because God, uh, because we're told in Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, to lean not on our own understandings, to acknowledge him, so that he can make our paths straight. God is guiding and directing, and he wants us to trust him as he does that, to listen for his voice, to recognize it more and more, and to do the things that he calls us to do. Not only that, but God is working in us. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is active in your life. So take the time to listen to him. Take the time to allow him to lead and guide your steps every step of the way in your life. It's a very freeing place to be, let me tell you. So Jesus the good shepherd guides us and we respond with trust. And Jesus the good shepherd protects us. Jesus the good shepherd protects. Psalm 23:4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they come from me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. The shepherd defends the sheep from predators with his rod. So basically, there's two implements, two tools that the shepherd employs. A rod, which is really just a big stick, right? And the, uh, the staff, which you would probably see in pictures of a shepherd. It has a long staff with a crook at the end, like so, right? A little hook at the end. With the rod, the shepherd beats away predators, okay? And this always kills me because, you know, no long-range weaponry back in the day, right? It's like you got to get up close and personal. If a wolf is coming at your sheep, right, you got to get right in there. The shepherd has to risk his life to protect his sheep. And if a sheep is lost or has fallen into a ditch or has gotten into trouble... The staff is used so that you could retrieve the sheep, that you could save the sheep as a shepherd. You would, you would hook it around the sheep's body and lift them up into safety or keep them away from danger. That is the picture of the good shepherd. Let's look at verses 11 to 13 from John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And this word good in the original Greek, kalos, is so much more nuanced. It's such, it, there's so much more richness to those words than what we an, understand to be good. This word means um, that which is noble and honorable and just. Um, it is a, a person who is worthy of praise, who is worthy of honor and respect and admiration, who is beautiful even. So when God, when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, that is what he's describing himself as. He is the true shepherd. He is the shepherd with a capital S. And so this good shepherd protects his flock by risking his life. Bears, wolves, lions, retrieving the lost. But not only does the good shepherd risk his life, Jesus, the good shepherd, willingly gives his life, lays down his life, for his own sheep. And we sang it a moment ago, right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus who lays down his life willingly, it's not just a drop of blood, it's every last drop of blood drained from his earthly body so that we could have life and life in all its fullness. That is the good shepherd, our protector. And so we respond to that protection, the good shepherd's protection, by sharing him with others. We respond to the protection that he offers us by sharing it with others. He does not save us for ourselves. He saves us to make us a part of his plan for the salvation of the world. And so we must play our part to share the protection that we experience with others so that they too can come under the protection of the good shepherd. In Matthew, it says, be the light of the world. Jesus says for us to be the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world so that they would, by our testimony and by our witness, come to know that we have a Father who is good and we follow a good shepherd. And I pray and hope, this is my prayer for myself, it's my prayer for you as well, that we, along with the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, can say this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is from Paul, who ran the race, finished well. That it would be our prayer that we too could run the race, finish well and discharge the duties of the ministry and the office that God has given us to testify to the gospel of the grace of God to the others, to others around us. And so the good shepherd, Jesus, he comes to nourish us, and we respond by receiving the nourishment he has to give. Jesus, the good shepherd, guides us, and we respond by trusting in that guidance, trusting in that leading. And Jesus, the good shepherd, protects us and we respond to that protection by sharing him with those around us. I'm gonna finish this section of John chapter 10 with with verses 14, 15, and 16. Verses 14 and 15 say this. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. In the Christian life there is a knowing and being known. And I want you just to take a moment to let this soak in, the implication of this statement. Not only does Jesus know you and know us. He knows us by name and we can know him. But he says that we can be in that relationship with him, relationship with him just as He is in relationship to the Father. In the same way that Jesus knows the Father, in the same way that the Son knows the Father, the Trinity in perfect co-unity since the beginning of time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly communicating with each other, perfectly intimate with each other, knowing each other. We can be known by Jesus, and we can know Jesus and the Father in the same way. Does Does that not blow your minds? It blows my mind that we can be known by Jesus in that way, but not only that, but we can know him in that same intimacy that he shares with the Father. My goodness, what a beautiful privilege we have. This joy before us. We are drawn into the life that God has for us, we are drawn into that intimacy that is there for you. Seek it out. God wants you to know him in that way. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is speaking to the Jews previously. Well, he's speaking to the Jews and he says to them, I have other sheep, so Um, Expositors, commentators agree that when he says that I have other sheep, it means other sheep that are outside of the fold of Judaism. So, namely, you and me, Gentiles, everyone else. So when Jesus says this, he is opening his arms wide and he's saying, come unto me, join me. I invite you into my community, I invite you into life. Jesus is inviting you by name to join his community of life. The Good Shepherd is calling you by name. So, will you respond today, brothers, sisters, friends? Will you respond by receiving and trusting and sharing him with others? Let's pray. Father, the depth of your love for us knows no bounds, knows no limits, God. And we, in the depth of our lostness and despair, we cry out to you, God, and you answer. And you've given us Jesus, the good shepherd, to nourish us, to guide us, to protect us. Father, would you remind us today of our experience of him in the times that we have felt nourished, and guided and protected. Remind us of those times, God, that we might worship you. And Father, help us to look with hopeful and expectance, expectation that you will continue to nourish, to guide, and to protect. And allow us simply to respond to this great and glorious gift that you have for us, life, life in all of its fullness, life in abundance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.